Welcome to The Equality Lens, the podcast dedicated to educating you on equality, diversity and inclusion. Together, we can make a difference in our society. Join host Amrez Khan along with special guests as they share their experiences, discuss their perspectives and thoughts. Please note, comments shared are the thoughts of Amrez and his guests and not that of any organisations they are employed by or associated with. Now, let's get into today's episode. Today, we're venturing outside of the NHS to talk to a really lovely, lovely person. She's the chief executive of a local credit union. Intrigued? So am I. Let's find out, find out more. It's Kira Davis. Hi, good morning. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, how are you? I'm good. It's so great to have you with us. Thank you so much for um, giving us your time to come and talk to me. Well, thank you for the invite. This is my very first podcast, so... Oh wow! Well, excited. <laughs> well, I hope you're going to have a lovely experience with us. So, uh, fingers crossed, you may want to come back for more, Kira, in the future. <laughs> well, I hope so. That'd be great. <laughs> so, credit union. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more about a credit union. What do you do? What is it like working there? Tell us everything, Kira. Okay, so a credit union is basically a savings and loans cooperative. So, um, people save with us. And we mm. use that money to lend to other members at really reasonable rates of interest. And then we obviously charge interest on those loans, but, you know, low levels of interest. Then we cover our costs and any surplus that we make goes back to our members as a form of a dividend on their savings. So our members own the credit union. So they have a say in our democracy. And also um, that's who we share our profits with. So we've got no shareholders in that sense. So. We are finance and we do savings and we do loans, but we're more aligned probably with the charitable community sector and certainly in terms of our values. That's where we sit. You know, we're very much a cooperative um, and we try to do finance for good, you know, to support people. Um, Traditionally, credit unions have served people on more low incomes who would probably borrow from very high cost lenders. Um, But we would we offer an, an alternative to those people. So we encourage small sum savings. Um, and we do loans for everyday essentials, home improvements, holidays, uh, but also larger purchases as well. So we try and cater for everyone. But our niche, if you like, is very much on that small sum short term credit where the alternatives are just, you know, huge interest rates. So um, we do save our members money and we help people to save and we get feedback like, oh, you're a lifesaver or you saved my bacon or, you know, you know, we just help people with kind of everyday ups and downs and challenges because no one has a very straight financial life today. So there's always bumps in the road and we're there to help. Yeah, so um, better than the banks, I bet. Oh, right? gotcha. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, anyone is. Anyone is, aren't they? <laughs> but yeah, no, we do. And we're a friendly face as well. You know, we, we talk to our members a lot. We're not a computer says no organisation. Mm. Um, and we've a lot of not advice because you can't say that we don't offer advice but we offer a lot of support a lot of information um because there's a real lack of financial education in schools so people come to us and they, they don't know what an APR is they don't know what their credit score is or why that's important or how to fix it if it's gone bad um so we do help our members with lots of um tricky things like that so we're a lot more than just just money fab lovely to hear actually Maybe one day I might come to you for some money myself. Yeah, um, yeah, well, we're open to everyone. So. 
Sounds good. So you're the chief executive of a local credit union. Yeah. So how long have you been doing that for? So I've been in post just over three years. And Mm. what's quite unique about credit union sector is in the UK, 60% of credit union chief execs are female, which is, you know, it's unheard of in many, many industries. Mm. And even in the US where credit unions are larger, you're more established and more, you know, more people know about credit union. 40% 40% of their chief execs are female. So, um, and lots of the members that we serve tend to be female because, you know, traditionally women manage the household budget and that's what we're there to support people with, you know, those kind of home, pur- you know, home purchases. So, yeah, so it's a quite a female-dominated sector, which is great. Mm. Um, and there's loads of female chief execs in the Greater Manchester area. And, you know, they've been absolutely amazing, you know, really, really generous with their time and their knowledge and, no real egos really it's it's great you know we're not in competition with one another we do share lots of information and it's a really lovely sector to be in, in part of because I started my career in credit unions in the trade body so um you know working on training and then around legislation and compliance and policy and then I moved out to another sector into social housing for 10 years but I stayed on the board of a credit union um and then when I came back you know as a, as a paid member of staff it just felt like coming home it's just a dead nice to be surrounded by people that you know are making a big difference in their communities and you know really champion you know female leadership so it's it's yeah it's a great it's a really good sector to work in and we're growing so hopefully more people will become aware of what we do and share lots of values with the the more community and charity sectors mm. um, and we have volunteer board of directors so no one's in it to make money but um, obviously everyone needs money and it's really important and you know mm. we play, play a, a crucial role in helping people so we get some lovely feedback so it's, it's really nice sector to work in yeah really good to hear and the fact that you've got a lot of women in those senior roles which is mm. fantastic here there's diversity mm. there isn't there um in terms of if you think you know in terms of your sector you're doing really well with that diversity of women and men and um, if you look across other sectors there's areas of improvement with you know, gender sort of balance in senior roles. You know, mm-hmm. do you, have you got any tips for them? How can they improve? Well, I mean, I, you know, the credit union sector is great. But what I do have to say is if you look at some of the larger credit unions where, you know, the salaries will be higher, you do get a higher percentage of men. So we're not, you know, it, it is great in terms of lots of female leaders, but there's still that disparity, particularly around, um, you know, pay, pay equality. Um, but in terms of, you know how how you can improve representation I think for me certainly um visibility and seeing women in leadership roles is really important um because what you what you don't see you can't aspire to you you can't imagine so I think that's really key and the fact that there's so many in Greater Manchester I mean I I was a bit daunted taking the role thinking oh my god can I do this but you know knowing that there was other women and people that I knew as well and I really respected and you know they really supported me in that role so that was that was really key um, I think where I used to work, it was a bit more of a challenge because the, the culture was slightly different. And I did lots of leadership development, which talked about, you know, modern leadership being very, you know, um, sort of, what's the word, sort of more intuitive, listening, um, you know, sort of being sort of softer, if you like. And that's the kind of skills that they wanted to foster in their leadership. But actually, when it came to promotions and who was respected, it was much more of that command and control style leadership. And that's something I've struggled with, you know, throughout my career. I always thought I need to be more command and control. I need to be more badass. I need to be this, that and the other. But actually, 
I'm, that's not who I am and it's not who I can be. And I think, you know, sort of growing old, get, getting older actually has been a big learning opportunity and, you know, lots of knock, knockbacks. You know, you, your biggest learnings are from your knockbacks and I've learned from that. So, and I think it's about, you know, I think things are improving, but I've still faced some challenges where, you know, people do consider a leader to be a certain way, um, have a certain attitude. And one of my own personal challenges has been that I'm four foot 11 and I've always looked about 12. <laughs> so I know you can't see me on the podcast, but that's, you know, there's a certain physicality that, you know, mm. I've had to overcome. Like I don't command respect. I don't, you know, I can't walk into your room and suddenly you know, be a presence because physically I can't and, you know, it's just not who I am. So I've always had to earn respect. Um, mm. You know, that's that's a challenge. But I think certain, certainly visibility um, is a big key role and also seeing the strength in a different style of leadership, um, you know, not just a command and control. You know, sometimes you do need that. Like during COVID, I find myself being very, right, we've got to do this. This is what we've got to do. But actually... I've become more comfortable in my style, which is more collaborative, um, you know, more of a listening style. I, I prefer to lead by example. Um, and I think organisations being open to that style of leadership is is really key. Because um, I think in my interview, they, you know, for the chief exec role, it could have been me or a man that's come from a senior role in a banking organisation. So two very different styles of leadership. And I think it took leadership on the board to say, actually we want this person because we think they're the right fit for our organization so um i think it's people sort of coming outside of what they think a leader is and what certainly what a leader looks like um and be more open to to different perspectives yeah and just touching on some of the points that you've made there i love the fact about visibility and um someone in my professional life said to me if you can see us you can be us that's the true. aspiration and in terms of that whole hard um you know sort of you've got to be a certain way to be a leader mm-hmm. the command and control structure side, side of things mm-hmm. I've sort of felt that as well I guess in my career because I think some people see me as a bit soft and a bit mm-hmm. fluffy and yeah. you know there's a quote yeah. from <laughs> Jacintha Arden, do you know the Prime Minister? Of... Yeah, 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 she's fabulous. Yeah, and she talks about you can have empathy, but you can also be assertive. It's mm-hmm. not one or the other. And I completely, you know, I find that really an- annoying and frustrating mm-hmm. because you don't have to shout and scream and, you know, be that autocratic style to get mm-hmm. people to do what you want. You can influence and you can educate yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's a stereotype there then with that sort of leadership approach? I think so. I think it's more of an in, you know an unconscious bias. Mm. You know, I think that's still think you know people will think of a leader in a certain way. So you know, you talked about Jacinta Arden there. You know, she um, had a baby when she was you know as a prime minister. Um, you know, she was breastfeeding. You yeah, know, yeah. Things, you know that, and she got a lot of stick for that. You know, it's not it's not appropriate. It's not professional. It's not this. That's the other. So I think it's more of an unconscious bias, um, you know, for people that do think that leaders look and behave in certain ways. But I do think things are changing. You know, I think, um, like I said, a lot of the training is coming across as, you know, these are this kind of empathy, listening kind of skills that are needed for the future. And I, I just love young people. I think they're amazing. They come to <laughs> and they're so much more in tune with this way of working and this kind of style of leadership. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I've had to kind of learn how to be a leader. It's not come naturally, 
but I've learned things along the way that it's okay to take up space. So I almost feel like I've earned the right to take up space, which you shouldn't feel like that. You should just, you know, be able to take up space. So I like mm. young people, the fact that they come in and, you know, they're mm. very comfortable taking up space. And, you know, there's just things I've learned along the way. It's about awareness and education, you know, and education yourself. So I remember reading an article saying that women tend to start a lot of emails with, um, I'm really sorry to bother you, or can I just ask you this, or can I take up some of your time, you know, and really apologetic. And I was like, oh my God, I do that. So I had to re-educate myself to kind of rewrite emails or, you know, rewrite conversations mm. the way I approach people and be okay with, with taking up space. So I get it's definitely a learning process for me. And I think, you know, I'm probably a generation where, you know, women can work after marriage, you know, they can work after having kids. Women in the workplace is very common. Um, you know, and I know that wasn't always the case. So I hope for the next generation of women, what they feel comfortable in is taking up space from an early age. You know, you don't have to earn, you know, the right to take up space, that they can come in and be confident and kind of, you know, compete on a kind of more level footing with men. Because I think, you know, for me, it's been a learning curve and it's an experience, um, knockbacks. But now I'm a chief exec. I feel OK, I can finally take up the space. But, mm -hmm. you know, I should always have been able to do that. But you know you live and learn and hopefully mm. i think hopefully the next generation of women will feel much more comfortable in the workplace yeah absolutely and you know would you have any advice for the next generation of women who perhaps want to be in senior leadership positions or are maybe anxious or scared or worried about some of the yeah. things that you've said what would be so your top I, tips so i listened to this podcast from a lady called carla miller who you know, listen to her, I'm like, oh my God, that's me. And that's, you know, like, <laughs> so she has a podcast called um, Impact and Influence. And one of the things she says on there is that women typically, you know, we are really good at taking responsibility, you know, pile it on, come on, we'll, we'll have all that responsibility. Even when it's not our responsibility, we'll take responsibility for things. But what we're not so good at is taking the authority that comes with roles or experience or expertise or knowledge. And I think that's something, you know, it's just great advice to say, actually, you have got something to offer and take it, take it, own it, you know, own what you what you can bring to the table. Um, you know, we can I've been a lot of meetings where, you know, I've said things and then two minutes later, a man says the same thing. And I felt, oh, God, that was me. I just didn't put that across properly. Mm. But it's not. It's about, it's about owning, you know, what you what you say in, in that way. So I think that's a really good um, podcast to listen to in terms of just skills and tips around how to step into the authority and become more assertive and to influence better and you know just things like not apologizing you know I'm still in meetings mm. where so many women apologize for speaking or raising a point or you know I'm really sorry can I interrupt you so it's it's just about learning to um, you know accept you know what you've got to offer is valuable and really valuing what it is because um, we all bring different things to the table. So it's about, you know, taking up space. I think that's really important. Really good piece of advice there. And I think some of what you're saying resonates with me. I do a lot of apologies on my emails too. Mm -hmm. So learning for me to take forward. Sometimes, isn't it? But it, you have to yeah. un unlearn it, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when you were younger, were there any mm -hmm. women that you looked up to that inspired you? So I... My, my, you know, I grew up in West Belfast, which is a very deprived part of the UK, well, one of the most deprived part of the UK during the Troubles. So we had lots of riots, lots of 
gun things going on, lots of army on the street. Our house mm. was really quite a lot. So mm. when I talk to people in the UK about this, they're really like shocked and, you know, how, how can you be okay after all of this? But for me, it was, that's just natural. The troubles, you know, were, had already started when I was born and, you know, the army was already there. There was lots of that going on. So on reflection, I think a lot of people were in survival mode. So in terms of being inspired and, you know, there was lots of, you know, very strong matriarchs around me in that environment. So obviously I drew strength from that. But um, there was one woman, actually. Um, she, have you heard of Mo Molum? She was the she was in the Labour government and she was the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland during the peace process. So during the Good Friday Agreement mm. talks. And she was she was very inspirational anyway. She was funny. She was warm. She was engaging. Um, she was, the, you know, the British government didn't engage with my community that much but she was very open and welcoming and during those talks you know lots of men in the room you can imagine the kind of egos and what was at stake during peace talks and I just remember this story of her um, because she was going through cancer treatment at the time and the so not only was she going through that but she was part of this you know this peace process but there's a real stalemate in the room these men were not budging um so what she did was she pulled off her wig and just went off for god's sake which totally broke You know, mm. the atmosphere in the room and you couldn't imagine a man being that vulnerable in that situation. So it took a woman to really express vulnerability to move that process on. So, you know, she was always an inspiration and, you know, she was an inspiration for a lot of me and my friends. And that is saying a lot coming from the Catholic community to say that someone in the British government was an inspiration to us. But that showed that, you know, she was she was breakthrough and she could appeal to all communities and you know, that, that one thing that she did was probably really pivotal in the peace process. So, yeah, she's a really inspirational lady. And then, sadly, she died. So, yeah. But her legacy lives on, definitely. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. I'd never heard of her before, but I will be Googling her yeah, after yeah. this podcast. So mm-hmm. that's really good. And in terms of the future, say mm-hmm. we were looking 10 years in the future, 2032. Imagine we're there right now. What would you want the world to look like in terms uh, of leadership? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'd like the world to still be here. <laughs> <you> know, <with laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, you know, but in terms of leadership, I think, you know, much more diverse because there is real strength in diversity. Um, having different opinions around the room is, is really valuable and it moves organisations on. And like I said, I do have a lot of faith in young people. They seem to have a lot of values that kind of align with, um my style of leadership you know less sort of ego driven more conscious about the environment and about um you know civil and human rights and i think you know just having a better place for you know women and girls because you know we look around the world and you know there's still women being denied education or and you know i think that is educating women is a huge part of you know stabilizing the environment and stabilizing the world because you know, when women have choices and they can enter the workplace, um, you know, there's less children, there's less poverty, you know, it just, it just is a, yeah. So for me, I'd like to, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, but, you know, more of that empathetic leadership coming through, mm-hmm. example, less command and control. I think that that male-dominated command and control style of leadership hasn't, you know, done the world any favours. You know, we've, we've got to a point where actually we need to step back from that. Um, you know, we're still talking about Boris Johnson doing ridiculously stupid things when there's like, a kind of <laughs> other things. like just get out of the way. 
you know, so we need some women to come in and, and, you know, men with the right kind of values. And it's just sad that we've got a prime minister that those kind of values that you just think, no, they're, they're last century. Let, let's move on. Let's get someone in that's much more collaborative and can, you know, lose the ego and bring people around the table and whip a wig off and, you know, be vulnerable when it needs to happen because you need things to move forward. And, you know, sometimes those egos just get, it get in the way. So Kira for Prime Minister then? <laughs> yeah. One day? Uh, yeah, one day, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, don't get me started with Boris Johnson. We'll be here forever with all the oh, new stories breaking out. So just, you know, just let's move on and, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Think about, think about you know, the, the common good, mm. not just the individuals or certain systems. Yeah, and then I guess finally, just to touch on, you know, your customer base as a credit union, I mean, what's your customer base like and how are you supporting diverse customers? Well, like I said at the beginning, typically the credit union type of customer is is, is women. You know, we do serve a lot of women. Um, when I started as chief exec, we had about 65% of our membership was women. Now it's nearly 80%. So I've had to sort of reflect on why that is. So we are an all-female team. So, and I think mm. I spoke to another credit union who attracts lots of young men and she said, and I was asking, how do you attract these young men? She said, well, we employ them. So I look around my team and there's lots of middle-aged women. So typically that's who we serve. So it's got me thinking that to be diverse, you've got to be intentional about it because it was never my intention to, you know, have more women join the credit union. But when I look at our marketing materials, there's women on the front and it's probably appealing to quite a lot of women. So while that wasn't intentional, you have to be intentional about being diverse. So that that's something we really need to think about. And I brought it to my board and it's something we put in our business plan. So we do serve a lot of women. Um, we've got a lot of different ethnic um, membership as well. So we, because you serve a lot of the NHS, so we work with lots of the big NHS trusts. So we've got loads of nurses and um, from all over the world as members of our credit union. So but I think, you know, we could do better and we could always do better. And I think we've never really been intentional about being diverse before. Um, we've always just assumed that, well, we do savings, we do loans. Anyone can apply, you know, if they qualify. And, um, you know, we, we don't discriminate in terms of how we offer those services. But I think actually we probably could do more and just be a bit more intentional about it. So, um, yeah, we've got lots of women and that's grown over the years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because by mm -hmm. default, that's the kind of marketing we put out. It's kind of messaging we've got. It's it's our tone of voice. We'll yeah. be very female. So we need to really think about that and kind of diversify our membership and get more younger people involved because mm. you know, we need that fresh blood to keep the credit union going. Mm. Um, our typical members is a female in their 50s. Um, our newer members tend to be women in their late 30s, early 40s. And that, that does reflect us. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, so you've got to, we've got to be much more intentional and, um, we work in Rochdale, which has got a huge ethnic diversity um, within the population. So even though we don't serve the local community, we want to do more to, to engage with those and um, workplaces within Rochdale because we, we're a payroll credit union. So people join through their salary and we want to kind of do more within the local Rochdale community and reaching those employers. Oh, fabulous. Lots of food for thought there for yourself. Sounds like lots yeah. of reflections. Yeah, we're not good enough. And I think that mm. assumption that, well, it's just, it's not good enough, is it? You have to be really intentional about being diverse in your message and your tone of voice and how you come across. And 
I think there's a lot of work we can do there. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Um, no, I think that's it's been a really good conversation. So thank you. Thanks again for having me on. You know, it's been it's forced me to reflect on certain things as mm. well. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Equality Lens. Please remember to hit like, subscribe, and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay safe and look after one another. The Equality Lens. Listen, learn, be better. Be better. Be better.